Before we start today's episode, I've got a number that you can call or text with questions or comments. Hit me up at 720-772-7988 and leave me a message. I'll be sure to get back to you. All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Swiftin, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 400. This week in space history for November 4th to the 10th. I'm John Wilmix. I'm recording on the road today, so apologies for the echo. First off, thank you for listening to the show. Since I started the podcast on May 15th, 2017, I've grown my audience from a handful of people, pretty much my family and friends for a few months, to thousands of listeners in every state in the United States and over 80 countries. The Space Shot started off as a daily podcast where I shared what happened in space history for each day for an entire year. There were a few episodes that were quicker due to me traveling, but I was able to meet my goal of releasing 365 podcasts in 365 days. After I completed my goal, I switched from a daily podcast to a monthly format. Right around then, I also got myself into an unhealthy work situation for nearly a year. It was an impediment to recording and doing things that were fun as often as I had wanted to. But thankfully, I had the presence of mind to quit that job and start something new. Work-life balance is something that is absolutely essential to living a healthy life. And quitting that unhealthy job and starting a new career is the best professional decision I have ever made. It freed up the time and energy for me to continue doing what I love, and that's sharing the wonders of space, exploration, and history with all of you. Over the past 400 episodes, I've interviewed industry leaders, historians, scientists, and authors, and I've learned a lot. I hope you've enjoyed what I share with all of you, and here's to another 400 episodes. Let's start off today with something fun. On November 4th, 1991, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Unification Part 1, aired on television. Unification is a two-part episode where Picard and Data travel to Romulus to determine why Ambassador Spock traveled to the Romulan homeworld in secret. No spoilers, but there's political intrigue with galactic implications, plus great performances by Patrick Stewart, Leonard Nimoy, and his father in real life, Mark Leonard, who plays Sarek, Spock's father. It looks like the Romulans are going to play a big role in the upcoming Star Trek Picard series that begins in January 2020. It'll be exciting to see what happened on Romulus since these episodes and the last Star Trek The Next Generation movie. Now, we've got some spooky space science. On November 4th, 2003, the largest X-ray flare ever observed from our sun was recorded. This was part of the Halloween solar storms of 2003. The European Space Agency notes that, quote, the associated coronal mass ejection, or CME, came out of the sun's surface at about 2,300 kilometers per second, or 8.2 million kilometers per hour. For those of us here in the States, that's an astonishing 5,144,953 miles per hour. 
This post from the European Space Agency goes into more detail about the event. Be sure to check it out in the show notes. Also, be thankful that this flare in 2003 was just a glancing blow for us here on Earth. Otherwise, it could have been especially devastating. On November 5th, 1964, the Mariner 3 mission launched. Unfortunately, this mission was a failure due to an issue with the payload fairing not separating. Even though it was a failure, NASA was able to follow up with a successful mission, Mariner 4, just a few weeks later. November 6th was a busy day in space history. In 1965, the Explorer 21 satellite, or the GEOS-1, the Geodetic Earth Orbiting Satellite, was launched. A year later, in 1966, the Lunar Orbiter 2 mission was launched on an Atlas Agena rocket. The Lunar Orbiter spacecraft were instrumental for both the Apollo and Surveyor missions since NASA needed an accurate map of the lunar surface if they were going to land a robotic or human spacecraft on the surface. The Lunar Orbiter 2 spacecraft spent nearly a year in orbit, surveying the near side and some of the far side of our moon. I'm linking to some stunning views that were taken by the Lunar Orbiter 2. Be sure to check those out in the show notes. According to NASA, quote, the lunar orbiter's camera made a telephoto exposure through the 610 millimeter lens of the crater from a long, low, oblique angle to the lunar surface when lighting conditions were optimum for best contrast. The resultant picture revealed geographic and topographic features of the central portion of this 100 kilometer wide crater, which had never before been discerned. Lastly, on November 6, 1973, the NOAA-3 satellite was launched. This weather satellite studied atmospheric temperatures and cloud cover, among other things. Next up, we're headed to Luna. Surveyor 6 launched on November 7, 1967, and it was the fourth American spacecraft to achieve a soft landing on our moon. The Surveyor missions were crucial for the upcoming Apollo flights since they showed it was possible to land safely on our moon. The Surveyor landers had targets that were selected because they were possible sites for Apollo missions. After landing on November 10th, Surveyor 6 sent back 29,952 television pictures and acquired dozens of hours of data over its operational life. The readings and pictures gave scientists on Earth a unique insight into the composition of the lunar surface. Surveyor 6 also performed a hop, where it ignited its Vernier rocket engines for two and a half seconds, which lifted the spacecraft 11 and a half feet high and about eight feet laterally. The Surveyor program ended in January 1968, having completed all of its objectives. The Surveyor 3 spacecraft was visited by the crew of Apollo 12 when they rendezvoused with it on the lunar surface. This was the first rendezvous by two spacecraft on another world. Let's move up to the shuttle program now. On November 8, 1984, the Space Shuttle Discovery launched on a satellite deployment and retrieval mission. STS-51A may not seem remarkable, but it did have a bit of humor, which is why I want to mention it here. If you've ever seen the picture of an astronaut holding up a for sale sign while in space, this is the mission during which that iconic photo was taken. Astronaut Dale Gardner held that for sale sign up in front of the malfunctioning satellite that the crew had retrieved during an EVA. 
It's also worth noting that in his astronaut photos, he sported a glorious mustache that would make any no-shave November participant quite jealous. Now, let's head back to the 60s. The first launch of the colossal Saturn V took place during the Apollo 4 mission, which launched on November 9th, 1967. Apollo 4 was an uncrewed Saturn-Apollo launch, and it was the first all-up test of the new Saturn V rocket. This all-up test meant that the Saturn V was flying in a configuration that it would be had humans been on board. The risks of all-up testing were outweighed by the practical needs of the Apollo program and the fact that all-up testing gave scientists the ability to fully test the entire rocket, not just parts of it. Also, the all-up testing meant that the command and service module wasn't just a boilerplate spacecraft. It had a camera that took pictures of Earth from space, and it sent them back to ground controllers. This flight also proved that the Apollo heat shield worked, which was especially critical since the crew capsule would be re-entering Earth's atmosphere at around 25,000 miles per hour. The first flight of the Saturn V was an impressive technical achievement, and it was also quite the spectacle. The rocket made an incredible amount of noise at launch, startling onlookers with a prodigious roar and vibrations that are the byproduct of over 7.5 million pounds of thrust. The Saturn V remains the most powerful rocket to have ever flown, even over 50 years after its first launch. That's a testament to the incredible work that was done to create this giant lifting vehicle. Rockets like Blue Origin's New Glenn and the SpaceX Starship, as well as the Space Launch System, are going to be the next generation of super heavy lift rockets, but the flights of some of those rockets are still years away at best. It's going to be exciting to see what SpaceX does with Starship over the coming years, especially since point-to-point -point flights here on Earth will be starting here in the next couple of months. That's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to The Space Shot so you never miss an episode. I'd love it if you could also leave a review in Apple Podcasts. They help more people find out about the show. I've also got a call-in number that you can call or text with questions or comments. Hit me up at 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'll be sure to get back to you. You can also connect with me at John Lonelix on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All of those social links are in the show notes. Next week, I'll have my top five favorite space and sci-fi movies. Until next time, I'm John Lonelix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.